Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. Welcome everyone, my name is Trevor Magnotti, and this is the Thick Jacked Frames podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft podcast. 2019 NBA Draft is 18 weeks away, and your Cleveland Cavaliers are set to pick 3rd and 21st as we record on today, Valentine's Day. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome if you're new. We have a quick show for you today, so let's jump right in. It's NBA All-Star break, so the Cavs aren't scheduled to play again until Thursday's game against the Phoenix Suns, which is probably good considering they are still likely needing to recover from that triple overtime loss to the Nets last Wednesday. In the meantime, it's a good chance to catch up on some college scouting, so we'll once again have a list of much-watch NBA games for you at the end. But first, our main subject today is our prospect breakdown of the week. One of the more divisive players in the 2019 NBA draft class, that is Kobe White of North Carolina. If you look at many big boards, you'll see him as a lottery value player. The Stepien guys have him as a tier three player on a few of their boards, usually meaning he ranks somewhere between the back half of the top 10 and around 20th at the step back. I currently have him sixth, also in my third tier. But if you look at any mock draft with any intel from NBA teams, there's a disconnect. He's in the 25 to 30 range pretty much everywhere, from the Athletic to ESPN to Sports Illustrated. So the goal today is pretty simple. I want to convince you guys why I think the Cavs getting white with their second pick would be an absolute steal, given I have him ranked as a top 10 player. So let's get into the measurables, the stats, the basics on Kobe White. He's a six foot four freshman shooting guard for the North Carolina Tar Heels, weighs 185 pounds, has a six foot four wingspan, averaging 26.5 minutes per game, 16 points, 3.2 rebounds, 4.2 assists, one steal, 37.9% from three on 63 attempts per game, 50% from two point range. So Pretty valuable contributor for one of the better teams in college basketball and one of the better point guard prospects in this class. Kind of figuring out his position is one of the bigger question marks about White. Is he a one or is he a two? He played mostly two in AAU, not really getting many opportunities to be a lead ball handler 
on offense, but that's more of the role that he's been shifting into at North Carolina. Now, he's not the only point guard there. They still have Seventh Woods. They still have other guys that are taking a lot of the creation load for that team, but he is the primary ball handler for a majority of the time that he's out there on the floor. So we'll break down some skills, offensive strengths and weaknesses, defensive strengths and weaknesses, and then get into our projections. So offensive strengths, I have a lot of them. I think that he's a very solid offensive player. Um, the big thing that stands out, at least, at least athletically on the offensive end, is his speed and his ability to change his momentum. White is one of the faster players in this class, and he's one of the better open court ball handlers that you'll see in, in this group. I think that he is somebody who can go from 0 to 60 better than almost anybody in the class, and he's very good at doing the opposite. He's good at going from that full speed to stopping and getting into a move, whether that's a ball handling move to get by a defender, a pull-up for a jump shot, or transitioning into a layup in the open court. He is able to stop his momentum, get himself in a stable position to be able to pull up or be able to get into those simple dribble moves. And that's something that's very valuable and kind of informs the rest of his offensive skill set. Players that have his ability to be able to shift their momentum open up a lot more to their potential skill set than guys who have trouble with keeping themselves on balance. And I think that that's one thing that White does very well. I think that in terms of his scoring, the biggest strength that he has is his pull-up jumper. I really like the pull-up mechanics that he has. He is not the best pull-up shooter in the class. I still think that I would take you know, maybe R.J. Barrett and Darius Garland ahead of him slightly, but I like the makings of his pull-up jumper. It hasn't really been falling for him very efficiently so far this season, but he, like I said, gets into his pull-up very efficiently even when he's on the move. He can stop, start, and transition into that jumper very quickly, and I think that he gets a good amount of lift on his jumper as well. So, even though he's 6'4", I think that he's going to be able to potentially get up and shoot over other players who might be a little bit taller in the NBA who are defending him because he's, he has a higher release point and is able to get a good amount of lift on his jumper. I think that he's got a very good step back uh, mechanics. I think that he's able to set his feet really well, shifting his momentum back and, and creating space that way. And I think, I think that he has potential to be a very good scorer off the dribble in the NBA. So I think, I think that that's one of the main exciting things that I might disagree on with other people is I think the foundation of his mechanics, while his actual shooting motion is not the most crisp thing, I think that he's got the footwork and he has all of the methods to get into that pull-up jumper that are going to make it successful for when that shooting touch ends up, uh, ends up kind of leveling out. 
The other thing that's important to look at with his play is his passing touch. He currently has a 27.3% assist rate, which is very good. It's what you want to see from a college point guard. You want to see them at least be over 25. Ideally, you want to see over 30, but with as many creators as North Carolina has, it's not a surprise to see him a little bit under that. Um, he has some really good vision, particularly on open court passes, and he's got some advanced passing touch. I think that he's pretty good with skip passes out of the pick and roll. Um, he makes really good drop-off passes when he's attacking the basket, can hit guys like Luke May and Cam Johnson cutting to the rim pretty easily. And I think that while he doesn't necessarily have the strength to be a full-court passer in the way that you see like Trey Young or Luka Doncic be, I think that he can eventually get there because he has such good touch in, in tight spaces and he's a very good hit-ahead passer. Um, kind of those Lonzo Ball-style fast-break passes where he gets the outlet pass and immediately is able to fire the ball up court on target to a, uh, a guy who has leaked out. So I think that there's some there's some definite bones to his passing ability. And while he may not be a guy who can be like a John Wall type primary distributor, I think that he can be a very functional passer within an NBA offense and within his creation opportunities specifically. I think that another way that he can potentially add value is he gets used a lot, surprisingly, as kind of a screen-and-cut guy. Um, North Carolina likes to run a lot of inverted pick-and-rolls with ball handlers like Nasir Little and and Seventh Woods, so they actually end up using Kobe White as a screener a little bit. And while he's not the strongest guy, he has a very good bait when he sets screens, and he has very good technique. Gets in position, makes sure to engage the defender, and is able to slip out and be able to flare to the three-point line to present himself as a pick-and-pop option. And he makes very good cuts. He sees open space on the offensive end very well. And I think that that's a really exciting role for him when we look towards his projection, when we consider whether he's a one or a two. I think the ability to be able to run his man off screens when he's being used off ball, and then also to be able to engage defenders as a screener, I think that if he adds a little bit more strength, his off-ball capabilities are going to be a lot bigger than a lot of people think right now. And then finally, I think that potential to add strength is is big. I've talked about it a couple times here in the, in the offensive strengths. He's a guy who needs to put on a lot of weight to be able to survive as a finisher at the NBA level. It's one of that's one of his big weaknesses. But I think that he has an, a good enough frame that he's going to be able to put on some muscle, and it's going to open up a lot for him at the rim as a screener, as a cutter. I think that that's going to be very important for him. So I think that having the potential to be able to put that strength on is going to be very important because he's one of the younger guys in, in the class and he has a pretty good frame. I think that you get him into an NBA weight program and he's going to be pretty well off in terms of being able to add that potential strength that he needs. In terms of weaknesses, a lot of the critiques of White come around his control. He is not a very consistent player, and he can get sped up a lot, particularly when he's uh, driving in the open court. There are a lot of 
possessions that you'll see where he'll get the ball, he'll streak up court, and he'll try to get into a move. That first move will get stopped, and he just either tr continues trying to go towards the rim and ends up turning the ball over or has to make a very tight space outlet pass to be able to get himself out of the situation and he doesn't necessarily read the floor as efficiently and consistently as you would like a point guard to be able to do so that's that's kind of one of the big things that will improve with time more, more than likely but is going to be something that he has to work through the probably the biggest concern in terms of his long-term potential, especially if you're considering him to be a point guard, is he is not a very shifty player. And it's hard for guys who have that straight line uh, acceleration, deceleration to end up becoming, you know, very shaky athletes because they're focused on blowing by guys instead of really being able to create space and separation with their handle. And I think that that does put a little bit of a cap on him as a pull-up jumper. That's one of the reasons that I like Garland to be a little bit better as a pull-up shooter in the NBA than I do White is because White doesn't have the same dribble moves to be able to create that extra three, four inches of space that Garland needs to to be able to survive as an NBA player. He's been doing that for a long time, and he has a very impressive handle. So I think that there may be a little bit of a struggle for White to become the same level of player as a pull-up shooter because he doesn't have much side-to-side -side shake. He's not really able to use his handle effectively to create space. His handle is more focused on being able to blow by guys with his quick first step and with his acceleration ability once he gets into the teeth of the defense. So I think that he's going to be a guy that is going to have to be creating off ball on secondary actions coming downhill into the lane off screens more so than a guy that's going to break you down one on five. Um, so that's something to keep in mind with his offensive skill set is at the college level, that's not something the guys have to do a ton. They usually can rely on their overwhelming physical traits or a more simple handle to be able to accomplish the same thing. In the NBA, you have to be able to create that separation with dribble moves, and he just doesn't have those currently. The finishing, also a concern. I don't know that it's as big of a concern because when you look at this point guard class as a whole, all of them are going to be potentially weak finishers. So I, th I think that White is actually one of the guys that's further along in that regard because he is able to extend through defenders and be able to get shots up over taller guys. He is about two inches taller than, than Darius Garland and a full inch taller than John Morant, and I think that that matters. So I think that his finishing is still going to be something that's going to need work. He's still going to need to put on strength, but terms of ranking point guards in this class, one of the main reasons that I have White ahead of Morant and Garland is because I do have more faith in him eventually becoming that acceptable level finisher that's going to open up everything else for him than I do the other point guards. The other reason that I have White as a, as a main or as my main option as the top point guard, is I think that his defensive ceiling is going to be a lot higher than some of the other point guards in this class because, again, the frame and the size 
differential is so big and we're already seeing more advanced defensive ability out of white than we do out of guys guys like Morant and to a degree Darius Garland Garland's better in certain aspects but I think white is better overall and that size really does help him I think it, it helps him be hidden off ball a little bit better it helps him to be able to help on defense with more success and I think that he has better technique than a lot of the other guys that will be defending the point of attack in this class. He's particularly good at walling off the paint on drives. He can slide to stay in, fr in front of guys, and he uses his body very well to be able to stand up to guys who are going to try to dip their shoulder into him to be able to kind of clear him out of the way. I think that he's a pretty good closeout guy. Um, he has pretty good technique, as most of the North Carolina guys do. Uh, it's one of the things that they're, that they're very good at teaching is that technique on closeouts to be able to stay disciplined. And obviously his straight line speed helps him a lot. He's going to be a guy who's going to be a very effective corner closeout guy to be able to rotate over and affect a shot on a pass into the corner for a corner three. So I think that that's something that's really exciting for him on the defensive end. And he also has kind of that baseline level of havoc creation that you like to see from a defensive point guard. I, his seal rate currently 1.9%, which is kind of right on the borderline. You like to see if a guy is an, NBA, is an NBA guy that you're projecting to be an impact defender, you want to see a steal rate of at least two. So he, he's kind of been close there, but I like his technique as a kind of uh, as a rip guy to be able to get his hands in as a guy tries to get past him and be able to poke the ball out. Um, I think that he does a good job of disrupting on the defensive end as well when it comes when it comes to jumping passing lanes and kind of tying up pick and rolls so I, th I think there's a lot to like in terms of his point of attack defense it's not perfect and he's got some larger issues but I think that if you're projecting him as a guy as a guy can he defend at the point of attack and and be that guy on a good defense, I think that answer is eventually probably going to be yes. I think you, that you can rely on him defending other point guards in the league and he'll he'll have decent success because he has good motor and he has these simple things that he's very good at that I think are going to be easily translatable to the NBA level. The biggest issues for him on defense right now are kind of similar to the ones on offense and they're very typical freshman defensive mistakes. Um, he has lapses when he's rotating off ball. He'll kind of lose the ball in ball watch, which pretty much every freshman wing and point guard is going to do at the college level. Um, he also plays a little bit out of control. He can kind of get caught off guard, and he doesn't do as good of a job maintaining his balance and maintaining his momentum as he does on the offensive end. So that's one thing that he needs to work on, and that co will come with time as he kind of recognizes what different moves are, are going to look like and kind of what the process is for being able to stop somebody. And I think, I think that that is going to be limiting early on, but it's nothing that I don't see him being able to overcome. Um, the big issue, issue for him is going to be him going through screens. The thin frame gets him caught up on, on screens a fair amount, and he can get affected by, by things because he doesn't have the strength to be able to push through when a guy does engage with him. 
I do think that he uses his thin frame to his to an advantage particularly well, especially when it goes to um, going over screens. He does a good job of kind of getting skinny and and slipping around the screener to be able to chase the ball uh, the ball handler. And I think that he does a good job of kind of shaking his way through the screen. But if he does get caught and does get engaged by the screener, he has a hard time kind of truly fighting through a screen. So I think I think that that's something that he needs to work on as well. But overall, I'm a little bit higher on his defensive ability than I am a lot of the other point guards in this class. Really, only Trey Jones would be the main guy that I would put over him in terms of the top on-ball guards in this class as a, as a defender and as a defense and as an eventual defensive prospect. So. The question with White is, is he a guy that you can give primary ball handling possessions to? And can you have him be the leader of your offense? I think that that's probably the ultimate question for why some teams are a little bit lower on him. Is I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that he's a guy who's going to succeed as kind of a dominant lead ball handler who is going to take a bunch of shots in your offense and you're going to be going in with the goal of him averaging you know maybe 15 shots a game expecting him to get seven or eight assists a game I think that instead he's going to kind of fall into kind of the more utilitarian point guard archetype where he is going to be the guy bringing up the bring the ball up the floor he is going to be the guy who is going to be getting a lot of creation possessions in your offense. But when it truly comes time to get him the ball and in a position to score, he's going to be kind of a secondary initiator, meaning you're going to want to pair him with a primary guy, for example, like a like a Giannis, like a LeBron James, um, even like one of the one of the major forwards like a Nikola Jokic or uh, Anthony Davis. I think you're going to want to put him next to a guy who's going to be able to take up more gravity and be able to give him more of those opportunities where he is coming off screens, going downhill, attacking mismatches, and getting up a full head of steam before he gets into the lane. I think that he's going to be much more comfortable in that situation. And I think that that is something that actually makes him a pretty good fit as a potential Cleveland Cavalier. You know, you think we just drafted a point guard with Colin Sexton and having two point guards is kind of redundant. It's one of the reasons that I steer away from Darius Garland and John Morant myself for the potential top pick that the Cavs have. But I think White's a little bit different because I think that you can play him and Sexton together. I think that the role White would have next to a guy like Colin Sexton would be as the guy who's going to be defending the point of attack, allowing Sexton to kind of float off ball and be more of a disruptor as an off-ball player. And I think that he, on offense, could be your primary distributor bringing the ball up and setting up kind of the quick hitters of the offense and then letting Sexton dictate a lot of the pace of the half-court offense and then kind of capitalizing off of that as an off-ball shooter and cutter. I think that you could play him 
and Sexton together pretty easily, even though both are a little bit on the smaller side. You would like to see uh, White be a little bit bigger to be able to have a little bit more success in terms of of matchup potential if the team has a bigger on-ball creator that White is going to be guarding. I think that becomes a problem. But I think in terms of the offensive fit and and the marriage of the two on defense, I, th- I think that that could end up working pretty well, having him next to Sexton to be able to kind of create off of the creation opportunities that Sexton's going to provide as, as a lead ball handler and pull-up shooter, and then kind of being able to take that over the point of attack responsibility and allow Sexton to kind of rest and be a disruptor on defense. I think that's gonna that would be a potentially good marriage. I also think that... Th- those two would fit well together in an up-tempo system. We don't know what the Cavs are going to be doing with their next coaching search, but it would be interesting if they do go the up-tempo route, having Sexton and White play together, because both of them are very good transition players and I think are going to be successful in an up-tempo system at the NBA level. And I think that that would be a really good fit there as well. Having those two guys together, having two ball handlers that can that can create in the tra- or in transition and in quick hitting sets, and having multiple guys who are able to catch outlets and be able to bring the ball up the floor. Um, in terms of my overall projection for Kobe White, this is kind of where that disconnect kind of comes in because I think that. He is projected very similarly by NBA teams and by the draft community. I think the difference is the draft community holds a little bit bit higher ceiling for the type of player that White is going to be as opposed to what he or what similar point guards to his uh to his stature are going to become. I think that there's a very good chance that in terms of raw talent in a vacuum, White is probably the third or fourth best point guard in this class behind Garland, White, and or behind Garland, Morant, and Trey Jones. But I think that in terms of on-court value to winning basketball, I think that White's ceiling is much higher. In terms of the range of outcomes, like I get like I gave last week, I think that you if you look at the lower tier outcome. That's a situation where White never becomes the elite finisher, never adds the strength that he needs, and doesn't make the progression as a shooter to be able to overcome that. And he ends up kind of as like a Reggie Jackson type, like an inefficient two guard that is miscast playing the one, isn't able to positively impact the offense because he doesn't create gravity with his pull-up shooting and isn't a quality finisher. And I think that that's kind of the lower end outcome for him is being kind of that that inefficient creator. I think that that's definitely something that's on the table. Um, In terms of ceiling, I think that He's, he's not going to be a guy who's going to be a Damian Willard type or a Kyrie Irving that is averaging 20 points and seven or eight assists a game and is the main driver of the offense. I think that the ceiling is probably as like a sub-primary to uh, one guard or two guard that's able to impact the game on both levels. I think a guy who would make sense in terms of the role that White would play 
would be Eric Bledsoe, a guy who is going to be able to initiate, is but is more kind of like an off-ball guy who is a complement to a primary initiator and who is your main point of attack defender on defense who is also switchable. I think that that's going to that's a reasonable expectation for White because if the shot comes around, if he adds the strength to be able to switch up a position, I think that he could very easily play off of an elite offensive creator as kind of the nominal point guard that's actually functioning more as like an off-ball shooting guard. And that's why I think the median outcome for him is likely kind of like a Darren Collison type for Indiana. Um, Collison is another guy who fits kind of the mold of what White's skill set is. Very fast, good shooter, um, okay to good finisher, has some passing touch, but isn't a guy who's going to be distributing all over the court and is able to provide value on the defensive end despite having a slight and small frame. So I think that there that's a good outcome for him. And while that doesn't sound super exciting, that's a starting level point guard in, in the NBA. And when you look at this draft class as a whole and you look at the guys who you, you try to have reasonable confidence in that they're going to be a starting, a starting player on a good team, that list is not very long. And I think that's why I have White a lot higher than other um, than other outlets do is because I think that his most likely outcome is being a starter on a team that has a ceiling of being a, a, a playoff team and potentially a good playoff team because of all of the different things that he can do playing off of a primary initiator. And I think that that's, that's important to look at in, ter- in terms of building a roster that's going to be ready to compete. Not only do you need kind of that primary initiator that can go get baskets, it's almost more important to have a second guy that fits what that first guy is going to do and is able to provide a lot of value kind of playing off of that player on bench units and then also sharing the court with him. So I think that while White doesn't have like all-star level upside, I think that his overall ceiling and overall most likely outcome is as a player who's going to be able to positively impact the game in kind of a smaller role. And I think I think that that's something that's valuable in this class because I've said it time and again, the number of sure things in this class are is very small. And I think that White is not a sure thing, but I think that he's very close in that he's going to be a guy that has very a very good avenue to being able to provide value on a good team. So that's why I have White in my top 10. That's why I think that he would be an absolute steal for the Cavs. And I think that he is a guy that should be on their radar at that second pick if he's truly going to be this far down in the consensus draft um, thinking because he is going to be able to play well next to Colin Sexton. And I think that he has the... I think that he has the potential to be a very good player uh, and a player that you want in a core that is trying to build towards being a playoff team. So that's kind of why I think that White would be a very valuable option for the Cavs 
honestly at either spot that they're drafting, but more than likely at that second spot, barring some major rise in his draft stock. So let's transition now into our games of the week. Um, Three games for you here, and then I'll drop some honorable mentions um, as well, given that we've got no NBA for the next four days, waiting for the Cavs to come back on Thursday. Um, Three games this week that are going to feature some very good talent, and they don't. There aren't as many good matchups purely between draft prospects as we saw last week, but there are some good chances to see kind of some of the more fringy guy, fringe first round guys that the Cavs could be thinking about taking in or with that second pick. So our first game, just a quick one, Tuesday, 7 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. We get some Big Ten action with Penn State and Nebraska. Now you may be thinking, why are we watching these teams? Both, Neither of them are over 500 in Big Ten play. Neither of them really have a chance to sniff the tournament. Um, but each of them does have a player that I would be excited about as potential fringe players first-round players who are likely going to be second-round values in in the draft. Um, For Penn State, you've got Josh Reeves, who is a 6'3 senior kind of combo guard who is by far probably either the best or second-best on-ball defender in college basketball and is going to have an NBA role potentially as a defensive prospect. I think that he is a pretty limited offensive player, but is still somebody that needs to be looked at as a, as a draftable player because he is going so technically sound on defense in a variety of different aspects. And he's going to get a good test in this game, even though he's not facing a guy for Nebraska who is a guard that he's most likely going to be matched up with a ton. There's still going to be some matchups here. Reeves defends up to the four or five a lot of the time, and especially does that on switches for Penn State, which is going to set him up to play Nebraska's Isaiah Roby, who is a another second round prospect that I think could move up into the first round. Roby's a really athletic four who has really good passing vision and is able to create a little bit and also offers some good rim protection skill. And I think that he is going to provide a good challenge here for Penn State, who has a very good defense. Um, it's going to be an interesting matchup to see how Roby squares up against them. That He did a fairly good job in their first game against each other earlier this year. But in matchups where he got Reeves on a switch, Reeves actually did a good job of keeping Roby off the glass and out of the paint on post-ups. And I think that that is going to be an interesting battle and dynamic to see. Roby's an incredibly inconsistent player, which is why he's not a surefire first-round prospect yet. Um, But it's a good chance to see both of these guys who have some potential two-way value, haven't really put it all together yet, but offers some very interesting skill sets that could be of interest to the Cavs if they kind of are looking for a diamond in the rough. So this would be a good game to watch. But the other two games that we're going to focus on are going to be much more high profile. Um, Obviously, the second game is the most important. It's Wednesday, 9 o'clock ESPN. We finally get to see UNC Duke, the first matchup of the season between these two teams. Um, 
The list of prospects here is, is a very long one. UNC, you've got Kobe White, Nasir Little, um, Luke May, Cam Johnson. Duke is obviously the big three, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, but also kind of the little three, as as I've dubbed them, Trey Jones, Javon Delorier, Jack White, who are all also NBA prospects with real value. So matchups to see here going to be, one, how does Nasir Little do defending Zion Williamson? Those two are probably going to get matched up a fair amount when Little's in the game, and that's going to be an interesting battle because – Little has had difficulty defending these super athletic fours because he doesn't seem to have the lateral agility to be able to square up against the, that type of guy. Two, Cam Johnson probably drawing the, the assignment on R.J. Barrett. Um, we talked a little bit about Cam Johnson last week when, they, uh, when we were previewing the Virginia game and how he's a very technically sound defender who's able to defend on the perimeter even though he's a little bit slow. I think that he's going to give R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish some issues, whichever one of those two he ends up guarding. Third matchup, obviously White versus Trey Jones is going to be interesting. How does White do trying to break down one of the more technically sound point of attack defenders in the draft class? How does Jones do having to try to keep up with White's speed in the open court? That's going to be a, a very good battle there as well. So plenty to watch in this one. Um, the But the matchup I'm probably most interested in is the Nasir Little-Zion Williamson matchup because these are two guys who are probably top 10 picks in this class. And I it's interesting because I really don't know how Little is going to fare against a guy who is of the same or of a higher athletic caliber than, than he is himself. And then Saturday, our third game, Tennessee-LSU. That game is at noon, I believe, on SEC Network. It hasn't po- um, That hasn't been kind of sorted out yet on ESPN, so I would keep a lookout for where that game's going to end up, but I believe it's going to end up on SEC Network and watch ESPN. Uh, the matchup here, we talked about LSU last week with Nas Reed, who is a guy that I like in the Cavs range as a potential uh, power forward that can stretch the floor, can post up, and can provide some rebounding value. How is he going to match up against Grant Williams, one of the smarter players in the class? How is he going to be able to fare against Williams on defense? LSU actually had a very difficult game against Kentucky in terms of Reed matching up with P.J. Washington. Washington had a huge game against him. Um, and then Reed also had some struggles against uh, R. Holman of Mississippi State a couple weeks ago. So he's kind of had a rough two weeks, and now he has to face Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield. So So that'll be really interesting to see, and it'll be good to get eyes on Grant Williams. He's a guy that we're probably going to cover here in the next couple weeks because I'm very high on him as a potential Cavs draft option. So we'll need to pay attention to this game, and we'll take some of the lessons that we learn from it when we ultimately end up talking about Williams in the next couple weeks. Um, other games that are going to be interesting to watch, there's an Indiana-Purdue game on Tuesday night. Romeo Langford against Carson Edwards. Edwards is a good three-point shooter on volume, who's probably a second-round prospect, is going to give Langford some issues. Um, there's a Virginia-Virginia Tech game on Monday night. 
that is going to feature Nikhil Alexander-Walker and DeAndre Hunter, two guys that I have in my 10-20 to 20 range. So those two will be a good, interesting matchup. Oregon plays USC on Saturday. That's going to be Lewis King, who is a second-round level, level small forward, defending Kevin Porter Jr., and Texas Tech plays Kansas. Chance to see my guy Jared Culver against um, Devon Dotson and Dedrick Lawson and Quentin Grimes, who who have all kind of disappointed in terms of their draft stock this season. But Kansas is still Kansas. They're still a talented team. Are going to give Texas Tech some issues. That should be a good matchup. So plenty of college games to watch this week. Make sure you catch at least some of them. Um, definitely the UNC Duke game is going to be appointment television on Wednesday. Um, but throughout the week, there's going to be plenty of options. So we are not going to be starved for basketball, even though we're on in the middle of the all-star break, um, at the beginning of this week. So that's all we have for today. If you like the podcast, you can find it on fear the sword. And we're also now on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure that you look for the thick jack frames uh, each of those networks um keep an eye out for other podcasts in the fear of the sword podcast network as well the best way to support us is to subscribe leave a review which helps more people find the podcast we will be back next monday with another episode so in the meantime enjoy some college basketball action this week and the calves when they come back on thursday we will see you next week stay thick and stay jacked